So we're going to take the next um, four weeks to do a vision and value series where we really can shape what are the values of our church so we can build on that foundation. And many of them are already instituted, but we're going into something that can maybe be chaotic in our minds. Like, what are we thinking? What is our vision? And bringing order to it in the way that we're giving some values to it. The best way, if I was going to give you an image to think about or a mental picture of our values is the next four weeks or over the next four weeks, these are going to be the four corners of the house that God is building here by his grace through his gospel. So today is that cornerstone. We're going to talk about the gospel is of first importance. It's our most important value. Without the gospel and living all of life through the power of the gospel, we will not be healthy church, a happy church, or a fruitful church. So we're talking about being gospel-centered. That's the cornerstone today. Next week we'll talk about family being a value, which is our kind of synonym for community. We'll finish up with restoration, which is, we won't finish it up. That's the third corner, which is kind of talking about mission, restoration, God restoring all things through the gospel. In our final week, we'll talk about stewardship, what that looks like with stewarding our gifts and our time and all those things involved to see this place continue to flourish by the grace of God. So we'll start with the gospel of first importance today. I'm sure many of you have been to different churches and i'm convinced of this i'm convinced as with all of us we start off with good intentions you know many roads to unfortunate unhappy and devastating places start with good intentions um but i think what grabs on our hearts so i'm going to talk hearts individually and hearts as a community is there's other treasures that tempt us to make those things the center of our life That can happen in a marriage. So in our marriage, we can make good things the most important things, and that is unhealthy and can be devastating to our marriage. So if kids are the center of our marriages, that's a kid-centered marriage, and it makes a good thing the ultimate thing, and that is unhealthy for a marriage, and there's a lot of unhealthy marriages that seem to be doing okay, but they're not fulfilling their ultimate um mission and ultimate calling of glorifying God through the marriage, through the gospel. It could be money, right? What do people argue most about in a marriage? Money, because many um, marriages are centered on money. And so what happens is if that's the treasure, that marriage can be shaken because money can come and go, right? So what we want to build, just like we built our marriage, which we built our families, we need to build our church on that which is most important and resist temptations to grab other things that might be good things but not make make it the center of who we are as a church family and what our mission is. Um, By God's grace, I got to be part of a gospel-centered church, actually our centered church, uh, ascending church, um, for a few years I pastored at a church called Seven Mile Road in Melrose for three years as the planning pastor. And it was so refreshing to my soul because the message of being gospel-centered was not only understood, but it was lived out. It was lived out. And I got to see, for the first time, being in a community that was centered on the gospel. Now, I had been in churches where good things happened, absolutely. There were a lot of people who loved Jesus, and great things happened. And and, uh, we'll all be in heaven together and all those spectacular things. But what had happened, it's my story, it might not be your story, is with those churches I was in, other things became treasures, and ultimately those churches I was in, they either split or closed down. Actually, every one of them split or closed down, and they were all shut down, okay? What happened was, these are people who love Jesus, 
but other things became more of a treasure. Good intentions, people who love Jesus in a tough battle, shiny things, different things, ego, other things got in. And what happened was the enemy was able to get in. And when you can make something unhealthy, eventually it's going to die. May that not be our story for restoration rule. May we fight to keep the gospel centered because our hearts are sinful and we will be tempted by other things. But if we can, as a people, say this is of most importance, then we will look back on our life, our legacy, and our time spent and say that was a fruitful, healthy, and happy time as a church family. So what happened during that time when it was, I was in the gospel-centered church was for the first time I was in a church that didn't gossip. This was strange to me. Like, I, once again, I wasn't in every living room or lunchroom, but I'm telling you there was not, if there is a spirit of gossip, there was not a spirit of gossip, man. I'm telling you, it was strange. I'm like, people aren't talking about everyone? What do I do? I, I, I didn't even know how to function. I was like, what is going on? Because what had happened is through soul care and through discipleship, everyone was confessing their sins to each other, so you couldn't out anyone. Like, it was like, oh, man, they're sexually immoral. Yeah, they told me on Tuesday night, and God's trying to sanctify them through it, so how can I judge them? Right? Do you guys see that? How can I, I judge them because they confessed it and said they're convicted, and they're working through it, and I'm praying for them. And I'll come in, like, look at them. I say, I know them, and I'm with them, and we're carrying each other's burdens. That is much different, right? So what happened is everyone was doing soul care, and when you get to really know someone, all the facades go away, and you're like, man, they're a filthy sinner like me. And they need the grace of God like me. And all of a sudden, instead of a place to come in with a self-righteous point to who's less righteous to them, everyone's like pointing to Jesus because there's a bunch of filthy sinners saved by God's grace. Amen? And so that I started seeing when you make something gospel-centered and Jesus exalted and no man or woman is exalted, all of a sudden there's no grounds for boasting or judging. And there's just this humble and loving gospel-centered culture. How about ego, Right? We can't be in churches where we inflate men's egos or women's egos. It's an empty place, and we don't want to feed a monster that leaves people dissatisfied anyways, right? So what happens is the gospel takes all ego out of it, where we are brought low and Jesus is brought high. And all of a sudden, we're in a, a, a culture of joy and happiness where we can look up to Jesus and look to Jesus and see people through Jesus, it changes everything when you look through gospel lenses. And so I want to kind of just give um, two points from the scripture and break out in some application. So we must keep the gospel of first importance. Secondly, the gospel according to the scriptures, like the text that Dennis read. And then we'll work out some life application for that. And so when you heard that scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, what did you notice about those two verses? It says nothing about what we have done. And it says everything about what Jesus has done. It said that Christ died and that Christ rose again. That Christ died for our sins. And we need to hear this because this is at the heart of what a gospel-centered church is. It's all about what Jesus has done, not what we have done. Do you guys hear that? It's all about what Jesus had to do, not what we have to do. It's about his work and it is about, we believe by faith, what? In his work. It becomes about grace, not about works. It's all about what Jesus has done. The gospel, the truth of it, 
our need of it, and the glory God receives because of it. So when the gospel is most important, God is glorified in a church. When the gospel is most important, people love each other in a church. When the gospel is most important, people forgive each other in a church. When the gospel is most important, people are reconciled to God through the preaching of the gospel. When the gospel is most important, the one perfect God is worshipped in spirit and truth. When the gospel is most important, we are worshiping the God of the Bible, and we are actually able to love each other. We cannot love each other based on works, because if you're anything like me, people let me down daily, and I let them down daily, right? How can we live up to each other's expectations? It is impossible. We will be irritated 24-7 with each other if we do not see each other through gospel lenses, If you wake up every day and say, if they follow these 10 things, I shall love them. You know what's going to happen every day? You will not love anybody. My rules get broken every day when it comes to other people. I break my own rules and don't like myself. Right? But through the gospel, I can say there was only one who was perfect. And he died while we were still sinners. Therefore, if God's going to show me that kind of grace, how can I not show that grace to someone else? How dare we say, I will not forgive them. We've been forgiven us so much. That's what the gospel does. You know, and I, I bring up this example, and I feel like it should now. I didn't get that until the second year of my marriage. You want to argue in your marriage. You want to be low-key frustrated with someone 24-7? Love them based on their works. Make a list. Want to really mess up your life? Make a list that no one knows about that just tortures you. Right? But I said, if I'm going to love my wife based on this list and everything else and what she does for me, I'm not going to love her the way Jesus wants me to love her. i got to throw out that list and I've got to go to the cross. I've got to go to the cross. I've got to say, I love her because what Jesus has done for me and has done for her. And she's the same way. Don't get me wrong. I've messed up the list too. All right? I've broken her list, I'm sure, daily. But because of being part of a gospel-centered marriage by God's grace, I'm able to love. And that's the only way we can really love each other. I'm sure even many of you who've been in Restoration Road for a few years, haven't people let you down a little bit? Yeah. So, and hasn't every other one, every one of us, someone has let us down and someone will let us down and we must forgive them, we must love them, we must encourage them and we must pray for them. That's what makes us Christ-like. And so that's at the center of being a gospel-centered church. It really creates this culture where it leaves no grounds for boasting or judging or resenting or division, but it leaves all the ground for us to be for each other and fight for each other and through any storm. You know, if you center a church on music and the music is not loud enough that week or too loud, or the music wasn't your favorite three songs out of a rotation of 44, right? Or like today, you're missing two people, so you want more instruments. Or you're like, I don't like any instruments at all. Put Jeff up there a cappella, right? 
Whatever the preference is with a church, you can never meet everyone's musical preference. But if you're a music-centered church, when the music is not good enough, loud enough for your song, that can be shaken. All right? How about social justice? If you think we should be at every charity walk, that we should be at every social event and everything like that, what happens when you're not able to do all those things? All of a sudden you say that church can be shaken. It's not about that. How about attendance? Let's have fun with attendance, right? How about if you're an attendance-centered church? We would have no pastors in New England if there was attendance-centered church. If any, and we would, we would compromise the values of Christ and use the wrong metrics, and God forbid that we achieved them to the detriment of the gospel. Now, let's have great music that flows out of being gospel-centered. Let's do social justice that flows out of being gospel-centered. Let's pack this place out from preaching the gospel. But those things can't be of first importance. They must flow out of that which is most important, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what God is calling us to be faithful to and guard, that we would guard his gospel. What do you hear twice in that verse? According to the scriptures. This is so important because people come up with all kinds of definitions of the gospel that are not rooted in the clarity and authority of Scripture. So I'll use my mother-in-law as an example. Nancy, we've been talking through in-laws trying to figure out how are we going to do this, all this kind of stuff. And she says, you can have two kitchens in a single family dwelling. But the confidence that exuded from her statement was unbelievable. You can have two kitchens in a single family. And me and Natalie, we're used to Mimi. And so we were like, okay. Uh, and, and Natalie goes, Ma, where did you hear that? People. <laughs> and, and we're like, oh, but what people? Do people tell me in the streets? They're my friends. You can put two kitchens. And we were like, Nancy, that's illegal. Maybe in a two-family dwelling, there's some exceptions in the building cold if you have a kosher kitchen. Like, I understand there's stuff, stuff you can go through. But you, you can't just ask people in the streets and, and say you know building code. You have to go to the building manual, which is the authority of that. That happens all the time with the gospel and theology. As a pastor, the things people say to me, I say, where did you hear that? My friends. And I'm like, that, that's not in there, bro. You're watching movies. You're getting theology from movies. And from that guy on the corner you don't even like. You can't build the gospel off of these things. We must build them according to the scriptures. Let me give you this. Theologians would argue that no place in all the scripture is the gospel simpler and clearer and stated in a more powerful manner in the text we read today. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that Christ rose again according to the scriptures. That is a simple, that is a powerful, and that is a truthful gospel. Anything that sways from that is not a gospel according to the scriptures. And let, I want to just break this down to three things for us. That Christ that Christ died for our sins, and that Christ 
rose again according to the scriptures. So let's start with that statement so we can have a clear understanding of the gospel according to this text. That Christ. This is so vital. To understand that word Christ is to understand that he was the anointed one, the chosen one of God, the Messiah, and we would understand through the gospels that he was the savior of the world, the son of God. He was actually divine, the second person of the Trinity, born of a virgin in human flesh, fully God, fully man, who would, and I don't want to, that's where we are right now that Christ. For Paul to say Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ, that he is the chosen one and Messiah, anyone who sways from that is not preaching a gospel according to the scriptures. There is a low percentage of people, even with the major religions, that don't state that Jesus was good. Whether they state it's for humanity or philosophy or for teaching or for ethics, they will say that Jesus was good. But they, what you need to really ask, do you believe he was the Christ? Okay? There's a wonderful psychologist guy, philosophy. I love to watch him on YouTube. He's got some good self-help stuff when it comes to living life. But you know what? He preaches when it comes to Christ in a spirit of error. How do I know this? Because in Scripture it says, how will you know if the spirit is of me? They will proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. That he is the Son of God. If you do not proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, you are not preaching the gospel according to the scriptures. Jesus is the Christ. That's why we are here today. Jesus is the Christ. That's why we are saved. Jesus is the Christ who will be worshipped for all eternity. The second is he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So we must understand when Paul is writing in accordance to the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament and all the prophecies that were talking about the Messiah, the Christ. He would come and die, and if you look deeply, that he would rise again. He's saying Jesus is a fulfillment of all these things according to the scriptures, that this is the Christ and that he died for our sins. Fundamental to our understanding of the gospel is that, is that the Son of God had to die for our sins. He had to die for our sins. This is so important to preach in today's culture because oftentimes we don't have a working definition of sin, but according to the scriptures, we are all born sinners. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. And that's the unrest we feel. That's the, that creates, um, causes us to lose our peace, causes us even to live in shame and guilt sometimes. All those things are marks of sin and marks of the curse. Restlessness is a mark of the curse. Being antisocial is a mark of the curse. Hating our brother and sister because they believe differently than us is a mark of the curse. Jesus had to come to die for our sins. Literal blood of the Son of God had to be shed to atone for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Jesus paid it all for our sins. If it is not a bloody gospel, it is not a scriptural gospel. According to the scriptures. See, what that does is the fact that the Son of God had to die for our sins takes all pride and ego out of the gospel. Because when Jesus was on the cross, a famous preacher says that, he outed all of us as sinners that needed him to die for them, to atone for them. 
The third thing is that Jesus rose again according to the scriptures. We talked about this um, on Easter, that there is no gospel without the resurrection because he defeated death, because he gave us eternal life, because that means we are reconciled to God forever and nothing will separate us from that. So that's the gospel according to the scriptures. Now, I'm going to give you a simple from there. We have that Christ is the Christ, that he died for our sins, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. I'm going to give you a simple 10 application points for that as a church. No one laughs because the Celtics game is on this afternoon. I won't go too long. But I want to start here. Since we understand this, first of all, the gospel is of first importance. and Secondly, it has to be defined according to the scriptures. How does that play out in a gospel-centered church's life? How does that play out? First of all, our preaching is centered on the gospel. Jesus needs to be the hero in the center of every message preached from this pulpit or in any arena at Restoration Road. Every message needs to come back to Jesus. Every message needs to be about Jesus. Every message needs to exalt Jesus. If there's a message that goes by and the name of Jesus is not spoken here and Jesus is not glorified, call for our resignation. Right? How do you get up at a Christian pulpit and the most powerful name of a spoken is not preached? You, we must preach the name of Jesus. We don't preach powerful human philosophy. We don't preach human wisdom. We don't preach self-help. We preach Christ and Christ crucified, Christ and Christ risen. For that is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? Our preaching must be Christ-centered. Believe me. I am so tempted, and I've done it, and I know you forgive me for it, to come in here with some human wisdom, give my points like, that was so wise. That was so philosophical. He's smarter than you think. He don't, he don't have a college diploma. Like, I want to come in here and just wow you with my human wisdom, who I study, psychoanalyst, my geographical understanding. I don't want you guys to leave and say, Joey is something else. He's special. That's my sinful heart. But you, there's no power in that. There's power for you to praise my ego. The power is in a Christ and them crucified for you and me and risen from the dead that we might not only spend eternity with him, but now we are reconciled to him. Amen? That's where the power is. And you know what? It's foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. They don't like it. They think it's ridiculous. You preach the same thing every week. I hear about Jesus. You can hear about him for all eternity too because he's that holy and that worthy and everyone in heaven is not going to have a different topic it's going to be jesus 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 you hear about jesus you see jesus let's worship jesus let's sing to jesus let's talk about jesus that's what gospel preaching is it's a subject we're never going to get over preaching has to be centered on the gospel of jesus christ secondly for all my singers out there i heard more singing today we're getting there we're getting there it used to be like me and dave just yelling we're getting there. Our singing needs to be centered on the gospel. The songs we sing need to be centered on Jesus, his love, his person, his sacrifice, his resurrection, and his glory. You know, I didn't talk to Natalie about what the songs would be this week, but I said, man, I hope they're centered on Christ if I'm up here preaching this. And we started with Christ alone, so we're good to go. You know that we can make worship about us primarily, even though, of course, worship benefits us. You know, we can write whole songs about how wonderful we are and how we were worthy to be saved 
and how they become so narcissistically experiential that they take the power of the gospel out of them? That's what we're prone to do. I'm talking to myself. Write songs about me. Write songs about this. I want to sing about my experience, not the experience of the gospel. Our songs must be centered on Christ. Or we're not worshiping. We're saturating ourselves in our selfish desires. We must sing about his glory and his worthiness and the blood he shed for us and that no, no power of hell and no schemes of man could ever take us from his hand. Who is glorified in that song? Jesus. No one comes out of there saying, Davy Simonton is unbelievable. Danny Baker, amazing. Now, I'm glad we sang that to exalt the name of Bugsy. No one does that. Songs should never you, leave, you real and how, uh, leave you realizing how awesome you are, but how awesome God is in spite of who you are, in spite of who we are. That's the stuff that really satisfies the soul is when we get there and we keep working towards singing that centered on the gospel. Our relation to one another has to be centered on the gospel, and we talked about that. When we love each other because Jesus first loved us, we forgive each other because Jesus has forgiven us, and we serve each other because Christ made himself a servant to us. This is the only way a community can stay united. If we are united in our identity as sinners saved by grace, not our deservedness or higher status because of our own unrighteousness, we will love each other because of the gospel. This is something that I work on regularly and daily. We love each other based on the gospel. And we must be committed to love each other based on the gospel and pray for each other because of that. How about giving is centered on the gospel? You know, we must give financially, carry each other's burdens. We don't give because we have to. We give because we get to. Any love and relationship does that. We give, it's gospel-centered because we can't give on a compulsion. And I've been talking to people for weeks about this. We don't want anyone giving because they're guilty. Right? Don't give because you're guilty. Give because you love people rooted in the gospel. Give because you want to carry each other's burdens. Give because you cherish Christ's bride. Give because you cherish God's mission. And give because you cherish God's people. That's gospel-centered giving. To do that. That's the heart we want to give out of. Not out of a compulsion, but a heart that gets the gospel and gives as the Lord has led to give. Our celebration of the Lord's Supper is centered on the gospel. This is the climax of every service is taking communion. Every service. This is the center of what we do because of what Jesus has done. Now, we can make communion about what we have done. And if I'm honest with you, none of us are worthy to take communion if we make it about what we have done. I'm just being honest with you guys. One of your pastors would not be worthy to take communion. But because Christ shed his blood and because Christ rose again and because Christ gave his body, that it says to celebrate that because that is fantastic news. Now, if the Holy Spirit is convicting us of stuff, because of God's grace, we give that to Jesus and we say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. But we take this meal and we put this meal in the middle because it's centered on what Jesus has done. What did Jesus say? Take this in remembrance of me. We can't even make communion about us. Now it affects us and it brings joy to us. But this is because of what Jesus has done. That's why we get to take communion. It's the center of what we do. That's gospel-centered communion. We pray because of Jesus. If that's centered on the gospel, we pray to God the Father through God the Son 
by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. We have a high priest who can understand us, who intercedes to the Father. Not only do we pray, we pray and believe that God's going to answer our prayers. That's an important part of gospel-centered prayer. Not just praying because it's duty. Oh, I send my prayers today. I'm good. Right? I'm in favor with God. I send my prayers. There's a point to prayer. It is that the wonderful, loving, heavenly Father would answer our prayers through the work of his son, Jesus. And I can believe that he will answer my prayer. Now, this is one of the most important ones that we will hear today. Our growth as disciples is centered on the gospel. Okay, I heard a a guy wrote this whole book that I heard one of my favorite preachers talk about this week. And it was talking about how to be good. Like, how do you be good? I'm not sure if the guy wrote the book is even Christian, but he did all the studying, all the psychological studying, all the surveying, all these analytics. And he came to this conclusion that we all probably know, but it really rung a bell in me. We all know what we ought to do, but we don't know how to do it. We all know what we ought to do, but we don't know how to do it. People don't so much need you to tell them what they're supposed to do. They really don't. We know what we're supposed to do. The problem is connecting what we're supposed to do with how to do it. Okay? When I talk about growth as disciples, I've been pastoring for a little while now. Let me tell you, a lot of people don't want to live the way they're living and they know it's not right, but they don't know how to change it. And what I need you to hear today is the only way to change it is through the power of the gospel. And let me unpack that for you. Because we, oh, I know it's only through the gospel. Let me hear, unpack this for you. Many people think the gospel is just for evangelism. And they think it's just for the lost. The gospel is for people who are in Christ also. And the gospel is not just for what we're doing now, but we need the gospel from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed. We need to rehearse that gospel and rehearse God's love for us and our brokenness in light of God, His holiness, our unworthiness, and the fact that Jesus bridged the gap. To rehearse that every morning for lunch and for dinner and have snacks in between is the only thing that causes our Hearts to change. Because you're not trying to change your behavior. You're trying to change your heart. Because when your heart changes, your behavior changes. And no more will a person be loving or holy or love his neighbor than when he's been broken by a beautiful gospel that humbles him and says God loves him ferociously and he will never let him go. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching? Only when we understand the perfect love of the gospel can we perfectly love others. Only when we feel that love can we obey the commandments of God. It says, all those who love me will obey me. Love is so connected with obedience, you you can't separate those. If I love my neighbor, so I say someone's trying to stop stealing. If you, the love of the gospel impacts you so much, you love God, you love others, you, because you love others now, are broken in the gospel and encouraged by the gospel and secure in the gospel, you're not going to steal. Do you got, hear me? When I love my neighbor perfectly, I will not steal from him. That's just one example. Because to love something perfectly means to obey God. And when I love, I obey God's commandments because when you obey those commandments, you're perfectly loving him and love others, which is the greatest commandment. It says, if you can do those first two, right? I think it was Martin Luther who said this. The first two commandments, to love God and to love others, right? Oh, if you can follow the greatest commandment, you won't break any other commandments. 
Now we're all saying, man, are you telling me to go on a 30-year run where I don't break a commandment? We all fall short of the glory of God, but I'm telling you, sanctification and maturity and growth of the disciple can happen when we love God and love others. So when we love others, we don't covet their wives. When we love others, we honor our parents. When we love others, we don't steal. When we love others, we don't build false witness. When we love others and we love God, we will not worship any other God. If we love God, we will not take his name in vain. If we love God, we will not make graven images. If we love God, we will keep the Sabbath day holy. Right? Do you guys see how that lines up? So if we can get that gospel in us and work on the heart instead of the symptoms of the heart, you will see magnificent change in our lives as a church family. Our evangelism is centered on the gospel. Do you know that people need good news? Do you know that there is good news out there? I know it doesn't seem like it. When I hit world news, I just get ready to read bad stuff. How about you? Okay, scary. Oh, that's real scary. Can't think about that. Oh, man, dudes are launching missiles. They're going to hit us? You know, it just keeps going. Right? But there's really good news in the world, and people need the good news of the gospel. And we're going to do a training in the next couple months on how to have gospel conversations with people. But God will put people in our lives that we need to share the gospel with. See, God's design, see their brokenness, and lead them to a gospel that brings restoration and brings them back into a relationship with God. That we get to share that. It says the Apostle Paul was encouraged because he knew that any city he went to, that God had called people according to his name, God's name, and when he gave that effective calling, people would come alive in Christ. I want us as a church family to be so gospel-centered that we believe that Jesus is going to save people. Amen? We've got to stay committed for that. It's hard in a world where, where you feel like sometimes, I'm preaching and no one's believing in Jesus. I'm preaching and I told my friend they're not as happy as me about Jesus. Like, we keep going through that, but what I need us to hear is sometimes you're planting, sometimes you're watering, and sometimes you're reaping. We must keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we're centered on the gospel, we must be a people who fight for justice. We must be. If we don't fight for justice, we don't understand the gospel. You know that God, a name that God loves to be called? Father of the fatherless. When your God, our God, loves to be called Father of the fatherless, you know he takes justice serious. He loves to be called protector of widows. When your God wants to be called protector of widows, you know he takes that serious. When he fights for the oppressed and he wants us to feed the poor and take care of the homeless and be in the gaps for the marginalized, you know that justice is an important aspect of the gospel. We must do that here at Restoration Road and continue to do that to fight for justice. And finally, our worship is centered on the gospel. I want to ask you this. If someone asked you what is worship, how would you define it? What is worship? I heard someone make the argument recently. If you ask most people what worship is, they would talk about the singing portion of a Sunday service. We worship today. Yes, that is definitely part of worship. But to understand worship is understand making God most worthy, worship in every aspect of your life. Do you know when you love someone, like we talked about justice, when you give a cup of water to someone who is needed and thirsty, you know you are worshiping the Almighty God in that act. You know that when you are shoveling out the driveway 
as an ambassador of Christ for the elderly woman who lives next to you, that's an act of worship. Prayer is an act of worship. Even our jobs are acts of worship. The way we work is an act of worship. That's why you can live out the gospel 24-7. You don't have to wait to Sunday at 10. Thank God. I love worshiping Sunday at 10, but I get to go home and worship on the Sabbath by watching the Celtics because rest is worship too. But we want to be a people that are so centered on the gospel that 24-7 we're living out as worshipers of God in every single way. So I want to conclude with this, just this kind of final story and final thought. I'm going to be married 15 years on Thursday. We're still going that. We did it. But the truth is we didn't do it. God did it. And if people asked me 15 years in, why do you have a healthy, a happy, and a fruitful marriage? I would only have one answer, and there would be no boasting in it. And I'm honest with you, because I know me and Natalie. It's because from the get-go, from day one, the gospel was of most importance to us. Our marriage was centered on the gospel, and that was the only way we could love each other. It's the only way we could be on the right mission. It's the only way we forgive each other. It's the only way we knew how to spend our time. Like, how do you spend your time as a family if the gospel is not of first importance? You would spend your time as a family on things which are secondary and third. So, and you see the enemy do this all the time with good things because that's why idolatry is many times. You take the good things, like I said at the beginning, and you make them the ultimate things. So they're not bad things, but they become ultimate things. That's idolatry. If we... If our kids, if Tanya and Kara were number one to us, then it would be, we'd be horrible parents. When we teach our kids through making them the center of everything, they're going to grow up thinking they are the center of everything and not align their lives with God's design. The best thing we can do for our kids is have a gospel-centered marriage because they realize that the world's not revolving around them, it's revolving around the gospel, Right? That's so important. Like, we talked about money. How about fun, right? Well, you know a fun-centered family? Like, nothing's happening unless like, woo adventure, let's do it. Like, listen, have fun, but you can't be centered on adventure because life is not an adventure all the time. There's trials. And if I'm leaving this marriage when the fun is gone, we would have been divorced and remarried 15 times, one each year. Why isn't it fun? You were so fun when I met you. Because life happened. Because trials happen. Because we have an enemy that wants to take and destroy marriage. Because we have sinful hearts that want everything else but what God wants for us. Right? I say all of this because I want us to take, by God's grace, me and Natalie married 15 years. We have two beautiful daughters. We really are happy and enjoy each other. And God has blessed us as he's blessed many of your marriages. But that gospel-centered commitment as a family, we're just another extension of God's family here. And if we are centered on what Christ has done for us, and that's the way we preach, that's the way we sing, that's the way we pray, that's the way we give, that's the way we grow, that's the way we fight for justice, and that's the way we worship, we will see God do amazing and continue to do amazing things in this church family. Amen? So that's our first value, our cornerstone.
the gospel of first importance. Let's pray.